Hey there, future millionaires and millionaires. I want to talk about an important aspect of building wealth, your mindset. As many of you know, having a millionaire mindset is crucial for achieving financial success. But what if I told you there was a way to take your mindset and your money to the next level? That's where money mentoring comes in. Over the years, I've had several money mentors myself, and it's been a game changer. It's helped me break through my mental blocks, overcome limiting beliefs, and achieve my financial goals. Most of all, mentors help me see future possibilities and unlock my full potential. That's why I'm inviting you to check out my financial coaching and mentoring program. My coaches and I focus on helping you reshape your money mindset, create a vision for your financial future, mastering the money basics like budgeting, building and repairing your credit, and growing your income. And then when you've got the basics down, we work on investing strategies and putting together your own millionaire plan, just like I did when I was 25 years old. And lastly, we'll talk about giving your money a purpose. Whether you're playing sports or trying to figure out your money, a coach is going to help you perform better. If you want to check out my financial coaching and mentoring program, go to TonyBradshaw.com, book an appointment, and get going on millionaire key number four, finding a money mentor. Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now, it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show. And today, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about education, educational system. And we're going to be talking with Nadav Zemmer. He is a longtime educator known as Principal Z, recently stepped away from being a principal of our school system, and uh, we're going to let him share that with you. But we're really going to be talking about how, uh, you know, some of his thoughts on education, but also how he's now uh, transitioned to living on a passive income. You know, that's that's real financial freedom when you have a passive income and you don't have to get up and go to work every day for a job. You're able to live the life the way, as I say, you get to live life the way you want to. Uh, and, you know, you guys know, you future millionaires listening to the show, know that I really recommend you forget about the old 67 retirement age or the 68 retirement age, and you start planning on maybe a 59 and a half uh, you know, it's it's just a better model to look at 59 and a half or sooner, whichever comes first, if you can make the transition. But Nadav has made that transition. So we're gonna have some fun talking to him about that. And he is the first one that I've ever interviewed that has told me that he he has a family line that goes back 500 years. And so there's not a whole lot. Of, there's not a whole lot of people that talk about their family line from 500 years ago. I think I might be able to talk about mine from about uh, maybe 100 years ago. So Nadav, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to the future millionaires on the Millionaire Choice. Tony, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I love your story, getting to know you in the pre-show and uh, just how, you know, you have a good background. I mean, you're, you're from all over the place, right? I saw you have a little Hebrew in you, a little Israeli, a little, uh, you got some Japanese culture, uh, not in you, but in your family. What are all the different nationalities that kind of come to bear in your family? 
yeah, so it matters how many generations. We just go my parents and my siblings and I. So my mom was born in the Philippines. Her parents are the ones who were Egyptian, and we have that family line going in Egypt 500 years. Um, my my father is uh, family's Eastern European, but he grew up in Paris and then Israel. I was born in Israel. Um, my brother lives in Argentina. My wife is Japanese. Um, I think that covers kind of the the immediate family. So have you done any genealogy search to see if you're like re- related to Ramses or Tutankhamen or oh, anybody like that? No, no, we we were we we know for sure we're not. So we're we're Jews. Um, we Egyptian Jews that came when the Inquisition happened in Spain. So we were um, living somewhere in Spain, uh, I think in the south, not sure exactly where, um, but that's where we started keeping records in the 1490s. Um, and that record stayed. Some of the family went to what is now uh, Israel, Palestine, and some of them went to Egypt. And we stayed in touch and kept the family tradition. There's somebody that dedicates themselves full time to maintaining our family tree um, out there in the Middle East. So there's a library that has that um, that documentation that I visited once when I was very young, but um, haven't seen it since. But I know about it. Uh, and that wealth just and, and my connection to my grandparents, like those roots, it's it's not just that ancient connection. It's uh, my grandparents went through the Holocaust and the lessons and the wisdom I got from them is really what made me who I am today. I think that's amazing that you guys uh, think about your family that way. I don't think, you know, obviously we know most Americans do not think about their families that way. I am a kind of a student, semi-student of Asian culture, you know, Chinese culture, Japanese culture. And that's something that I find very fascinating with the Japanese and the Chinese, especially the Chinese when you look at how the family structure has been for you know thousands of years, it, it may not be as much today as it was back then, but how you would have a nucleus of the family unit and that the unit worked together to create businesses and prosperity within the family and that there's a family lineage and that the, when the children are born, the, the immediate family took care of the education of the children and they were, you know, in the family did the tutoring, the family did the teaching, the family did the development. And that's very much similar to, uh, kind of like, uh, I guess the way to say it, royalty or nobility or, you know, just the cultures of the English or the, you know, the Europeans, but only at the higher level, not the lower levels and even not the lower levels in America. But at the higher levels, you end up with this kind of more sense of family lineage and this sense of responsibility to the family name than what you have as, you know, mainstream society in America. I find that very fascinating. Is that kind of how you feel like your family looks at, at the family, like a, a representation of the family name? Yeah, it's it's you you know a lot more about the Asian side than I do. I you know I have experience with one family and they're kind of counterculture in Japan. But what you were describing sounds very Jewish in a sense. And I think how um, we've survived so long in other countries is by you know that family nucleus and education in the family. Um, and that importance of education, not um, not being going to school, but just life experience. Um, so, yeah, I think that it does reflect a lot. And it's, and it's our definition of wealth really comes from, uh, you know, my, our experience of family. I feel like I was born a trillionaire because of the family I was born into, because, you know, my mom was this Taoist, you know, searcher, waitress who became a nutritionist and acupuncturist. She's a real seeker and taught me to seek in that way. And my father, too, was a cosmo, you know, he's an applied physicist and a real scrappy um, inventor, just like his dad and his dad. Um, but they um, they loved every day of life. They weren't working towards something. They were being here today, loving it. and um, 
and and so the wealth wasn't so much a dollar sign for us as it was an experience as a family together um living life one day at a time and that was such a gift to get that you know to get that perspective so young yeah i think what i hear is like your your parents were driven to 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 learn and grow as a as a group and so you kind of picked that up from them as you know that's what your family does as part of a heritage is this growth in mind growth in body growth in spirit and you continue to build on that. And that's what I think I see kind of like in, in these these cultures, like when when you go from being, uh, you know, in my family, I, I look at how I grew up and my parents taught me, you know, good moral values and a couple of different things, gave me a few tool sets. But now as my wife and I have kind of hit another level of society, we're going, OK, we're the first generation that is on this level or this plane. How do we transfer that to our own children to propagate that into the future so that you're, de- you're developing this kind of uh, lineage of success and growth and new expectations. And uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting if you don't come from that side of a family that thinks that way, but you're, you're doing it for the first time. And, and you know, it's, it's a challenging thing, but it's very interesting. We're pulling our kids out of a private school this next year and putting them into, into a homeschool program, three of them, two of them are graduated. And yeah, That's we're great. pretty excited about it actually, because I'm really on this new line of thinking, like, you know, uh, my kids, when you look at the people that are most successful in the world, many of them speak, you know, two, three, four languages. And most Americans, and people say this is, you know, most countries are speaking two or three languages. You go to China, you're knowing like three minimum, right? English, Chinese, plus something else. And and my grandparents all spoke seven yeah, right? and six on right? the other side. Right? And that's just not what we think. But this is how my wife and I are starting to go, you know what? We should. As a family, that should be an expectation for our family that all of the children and us as well should speak multiple languages. So we're going to we're going to stab into that, take a take a shot at it, uh, obviously. And I would include mathematics as a language and music as a yeah, language. Yeah, yeah, I would too. You know, it's 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 and not let certain things get in the way, right? So I've got a son that was very gifted musically, but unfortunately, I let him start playing video games a little too soon, and he he took all of his time and burned it on video games, and I let him do it versus developing this musical skill set. And and we talked about that. Now he's he's gone off to college now and he's rebooting his thinking because I've been working on him a lot. Like, hey, you need to put more time into developing yourself for the future than putting yourself your time into things that bear no fruit in the future, which you know, gaming is something that won't bear a lot of fruit. Um, you know, there's a lot of things like that. Unless we all live in the metaverse and then we'll all be living in the game. So maybe he's way ahead of both. <laughs> yeah, of <us. laughs> ready player one, right? If you haven't seen that movie, that's right, yeah, exactly. you, yeah, a bunch of people living in trailers with virtual reality machines. Sure. And yeah, that's somebody's envisioning that for the future. Hopefully that never comes to pass. But uh but yeah, but I think uh, you know, the big thing for me is like when you you're moving from you know, a place of a lower income where you come from, maybe a broke mindset, which is where I was, and you move into this new, you know, phase of life where it's more like wealth and abundance. Uh, there's some transition that goes on with your your psyche, you know, your spirit and your your heart and your mind. And I think that's where, you know, our family is. And we're in that transition phase. Where we're going, you know, yeah, we, we, we have more money now than we have before. But now that's also affecting, uh, you know, how we look at the future, how we look at the world, how we look at the family. And uh, and that's that's interesting. Now, you've been working with kids for a very long time. Yeah, I actually write exactly what you've been talking about um, in the, I think, the third chapter of my book, Education and Digital Age, How We Get There. Um, I talk exactly about that. And I take, I start from the individual. Like if you've made a lot of money and now you have money, you need to figure out what to do with it. It's a different skill set. And so it's a, it's a, it's a real learning. You have to engage in learning new things and being a failure again and start over because learning 
once you know how to make money, you want to just keep doing that because that's what you're good at, right? And to switch gears and learn other things that aren't about making money is a real challenge for an individual and for a society. Um, and so that's really, I think, what you got, you have the courage to dive in and, and relearn and take on homeschooling, right? You're, you're diving into education and you're willing to create a new path and to struggle because you know that the failures are the learning. It's not, it's, you know, it, it's, it's about playing a game big enough that you fail. Cause if you don't fail, you're not doing anything interesting. Right. And so if making money, you know, if you've gotten bored making money, cause you've made enough and now that's not an issue. And, and it switches from money having us, which is how most of us live to us having money. Right. Which then just falls in the background. You don't have to think about it anymore because you can spend what you want. And it's, you know, you don't, money is a tool to empower you. It doesn't become something that's always on your mind. Um, once you flip that, what do you do with your time, right? And so it's a whole different set of questions. And I think we're going through that as a society right now as we switch from industrial to digital, because in the digital age, things can get, share, you know, sharing has more power than owning and hoarding. And so it's a different mindset for corporations. And, you know, we're going through this big transition as a society. And it's very similar. We've gotten very good at industrial capitalism. And now we're being thrown this digital, you know, curveball. And, you know, are we going to be able to learn how to do it when we're so good at the old system? That's, you know, that, that's not what the future is. Yeah, I love that. The adaptation, I think it's one of the powerful things about humanity is just the ability to adapt to situations. But I think you're exactly right. You know, you talked about the industrial revolution, uh, industrial capitalism, and now we're moving into a different phase. Uh, people are making money differently. I've got a friend, um, Jeremy Newsom, which was on my show, uh, I don't know, 75 episodes ago or something. And uh, just listening to him, he's 33 years old and multi, multi, multi-millionaire has it on the island in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, made his first investment when he was six years old. And uh, after watching Forrest Gump with his dad, he heard Forrest talk about <laughs> buy, buying this fruit, buying this fruit. Never, you know, Captain Dan had to buy, bought this fruit and we no longer have to worry about money. And uh, he asked his dad, what, what, what's he talking about? Like, we worry about money in this house all the time, dad. What's, what's Forrest talking about? And he said, uh, he's talking about Apple computers, son. They're supposed to take over the world and be in every home. And he goes, well, I think we should buy some of that, dad. And he goes, he goes, no, that, son, that's just make-believe. That's just the movies. And his, he stayed after him. Jeremy stayed after him. His dad said, go find some money and I'll match it. Little guy ran out, started picking blackberries, selling them to the neighbors, came back, said, dad, I got some money. His dad goes, how much you got? He goes, $1,500. Six-year-old kid with $1,500 going to his dad. His dad goes, oh, crap. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have $1,500, but that was his first investment. They, they ended up scrapping the money together, made about $3,000 in Apple stock at 86. Now he's a full-time trader, teach people. But the interesting thing, the reason I bring that up is because it's a mindset shift because we get programmed as kids, even very young to get into a job type mentality where it's, we grow up thinking about our job. We develop our skills for our job. Everything revolves around the job. Everybody asks you what you do for a living when they meet you. Yeah. And so I, I loved hearing Jeremy speak last year in October at uh, the Purpose of Wealth event here in, in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. And I heard him and he really challenged my thinking because I'm thinking, you know what? I'm a millionaire, multimillionaire. And, uh, you know, I think I got my things, I mean, ducks in a row. And I hear him get up on stage. He goes, when I, when I go by, when I want a Starbucks, I don't think about buying a Starbucks. I think about investing in Starbucks and Starbucks pays me to drink their coffee. He goes, when I want to buy a Tesla, I don't go buy a Tesla. I go invest in Tesla and Tesla pays me to drive their cars. So he, he thinks on a different wavelength than the average person about how to meet his needs. It's a different system, right? The job system 
is a, is a system to create money and income and cash flow to meet your needs. But there are other systems out there. Now, you recently switched from a, a, a job system and now you're into a passive income system. So you're, you're thinking differently. Have you, have you, are you still mentally making that transition? It's funny. I've always um, thought differently about money. Um, and, and my family's always commented on it. I got it from my uncle, I think, and from I, somewhere early on. I don't know where, where it was, but very early on, um, I, I use money as a tool to empower me. No matter how much I have, it was never something, it was never, a, I never had a deficit mindset about money, right? And so that, that seeing a lot of people who money has them, for some reason, the gift I was given somewhere very early on in my life, I had money, money didn't have me. Um, and so there are times that I did very risky things that are never recommend to anybody. But I, I essentially retired when I was in my late teens and 20s, right after college, I got a degree in physics. And I basically said, hey, this is the time to retire when I'm young and I'm exploring. And so by the end of retirement, I'll know what I want to do for a living and then I'll enjoy it. It won't be making money, right? So I just racked up credit card debt and explored. And I was a software engineer and I um, you know, rode motorcycles and I traveled the world and I hitchhiked across Europe. I did anything I wanted to because um, I felt like if I find myself and I take the time during that time to find myself, then myself will know what to do and money will come naturally. And then those debts were paid and you know things. So I've always had a very different relationship to money. And my, um, my wife comments about it all the time. And for me, it's kind of the water I swim in. So I don't notice it until I talk to some other people about it and realize, oh, right, right. I, I'm kind of a freak. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I, and it just happened perfect. I've been working on a project since 1999 and it started to take off. And just as it started to take off, um, my finances ended up in a place that we had my wife, you know, it, she, it's amazing what she's willing to go through with me. We take these huge risks um, and they've, they've worked out one after the other because only because we're willing to fail for so long. And that's what she's used to with me. Like he's going to take something on, he's going to fall in his face, but it is going to eventually work out. And she has faith in me for that. So it happened when we bought this house and then we took the value of this house and invested in the investment. I, I invested all of the money from the house. I took out a mortgage and we lost like 90, 85% of it. And I didn't sell, I held. And now um, that same investment has turned around. We, we invested in Bitcoin and now, um, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, enough money that just the uh, passive income I'm getting off of those investments that I have locked up in different places, so I can't touch it. But it's now giving me the salary I used to make as a principal. Um, so we're not living large. We're not don't feel like millionaires necessarily, but we kind of we feel like the one percent that we call the one percent of you know that we have a job we like, we have a family that's close that we love. Like that is so rare in this country to have those quality of life, that kind of wealth. And so we really celebrate and love that. And we're, you know, blessed enough to have had things work out together so that I don't have to work a real day job. Yeah. So it sounds like you actually said you were happy there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, happy is a funny thing because you have to invest in it, right? You have to invest energy to get energy back. It's like I talk to my daughter about all the time. If you don't make the investment in, and it can be math, it can be music, it can be French, it can be anything when you put the energy in it. But if you start not putting the energy in, that happiness disappears in seconds, you know, so yeah. happy is a created state, but you have to have that kind of um, surface of availability for it. <laughs> and and that is some infrastructure that needs to get set up to have that. Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of people, and you're alluding to this, a lot of people, I think the statistics out there, I don't know if it's 40, 50, 60, 80 percent of uh, people are working in jobs they don't enjoy. And if you're working that much of your life in something you don't enjoy doing, then it's really hard to find true happiness or fulfillment. And, and you're not uh, going to get anywhere. You're not going to be good at it. You're hmm. not going to advance. 
You're not going to, you're not going to really get to the fruitful places. And uh, I think that's the thing is like a lot of people don't know what real happiness is or real joy or real contentment is. And I'll be honest with you. Like I was making really good money, had a great job working with people, but I, I don't think I really understood what true, like full contentment and satisfaction with life is until the last, probably last three or four years. And, uh, and it's because I've had that freedom. I haven't been locked down to a desk, locked down to eight hour work days or 10 hour, 12 hour work days. I've been able to, uh, kind of free flow and figure out things like, you know, we're taking on a lot of risk right now with this, this business that I've started, uh, the millionaire choice, we've got a nice podcast, got a book getting out there trying to make things happen, but I'm cash flowing the thing, right? I'm bootstrapping yeah, it. Same here. And uh, yeah, the bit of, the beauty thing is, is I had the money from all my other work for 20, 20 plus years. And this is what I had done to draw on in this season of life. But I would look back and I'm like, man, you know, life has been so different for the last, you know, seven years, you know, actually six years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I've right. been, I've got more joy, satisfaction, fulfillment now making a, a 20th of what I was making before, if not less than, than what I was making before. And, uh, you know, and that's it. The only thing I miss is yeah. the money from the, from the previous life. I missed the money a little bit. I can't say that cause I'd be a fool to say that, but to say I, I didn't miss it, but you know, it's, it's also with the idea that like, Hey, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Like, and I like that's where you say you take on some risk and, uh, you know, you're looking for the reward and the payoff. Yeah. I like how you put it in your show. You talk about it being a choice, right? And it's really a choice about your future, kind of how you see it in your heart to heart. There's a, and what a choice is. I think there's a whole, there's a whole study there and, and the difference between choosing something, which is an, it's a creative act, right? Choosing something and decide, you know, it's not, you can decide and weigh things and all this intellectual stuff, but choosing is an experience that calls you into action that you can't help, but you know, it, you, you find yourself moving naturally. And so that I, I love how you talk about it in, in, in your show as a choice, the, in terms of making a plan, which is the next piece you talk about um, the way I operate. And I don't know if it's uh, works for others, but it's, I kind of look to see the plan emerge naturally. Cause for me, the plan is about the doing, but what matters more is what's in the background of the doing, you know? So if I'm going to pitch to somebody, the words I'm saying don't matter as much as my body language and the, my body language is going to reveal what I really, you know, if I really feel like I have something to offer, if there's an opportunity here or not, they're going to read my body language and then they're going to ignore what I say. Mostly, you know, people, people listen to how you make them feel, not really what you're saying to them. Um, and that emotional connection that, um, and I think there's something brilliant that you've done that once you, and we talked about a little before that once you made the money, you, you changed your perspective to make a difference for others. And I really think that's where the juice is at. Once you've made the money is when you can turn around and share that with others, that's where the fulfillment and the richness comes from. And it's a hard pivot that talk about pivot. I don't see any businesses pivoting like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think it's a new thing because you don't when you're when you're broke, which is where 78 percent of Americans are, you know, pay, live paycheck to paycheck, depending on what stat you look at. Uh, it's very hard to get your idea around sharing the wealth because you don't there is not there isn't any wealth. You're struggling to rub two nickels together to pay your bills. But once you get there, your mind has to get there first before it can really shift into the new, new zone. And it, and it takes a little while. Right. So on my road to wealth. Uh, or what, you know, the lowest level, I'll call it the lowest level of wealth, which is, you know, a million dollars. That's like, that's really the threshold. I think people cross over where their mind can kind of start to expand a lot because you're like, whoa, I just, I just hit this milestone. It's a gateway. It's kind of like a gateway to new world. And, uh, and then your thinking starts to evolve in a different way. But then you start going for me, what it's happened is it's gone from, you know, giving and supporting things and people to actually having a real purpose behind why I make money in the first place. And before it was, 
just, hey, uh, I'm broke. Let me have some better money habits. Let me try to build some wealth. And along the way, I'll donate to my church. I'll help some orphans. I'll help some human trafficking victims. I'll do these good things in society. But now it's a whole nother level where I go, I have a responsibility to know as much as I can about money to build as much wealth as possible because the only, my limit to building wealth is limited by me. And my ability to help others is also limited by me. So I have, I see a deeper sense of responsibility in building wealth and managing money than I ever have before. Before it was more focused on, I was driven by excellence in my work. Like I need to be a great leader. Let me learn how to lead. I need to be a good programmer. I did some programming for a while. I need to do that. I need to know how to learn, you know, manipulate databases and data, like all the skills that go into being successful. I was driven by this need for uh, being just excellent in my work. Now- Yeah, degree in mechanical engineering, right? Yeah, I did. I love my- That takes something. I still, I still have a dream of having my own little manufacturing company where I can come up with ideas and, and, and whiteboard them and give them to somebody else to go make and make money with them and then give them money I jumped away. shipping with the software because I couldn't handle mechanical engineering. That's, that was <laughs> over, my, over my head. I loved it. I actually love it. I love software development too. Software development is uh, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like an art form. You know, I think a lot of people where I worked had uh, musical talent. Like I think half of our programmers were musicians. And uh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of connection between uh, musicians, musical, musical talent and, uh, and programming the creative side. So now, uh, so you're, you're living off passive income. Now you're cash flowing your dream, right? That's pretty exciting. It's, it is pretty exciting. It's, it's a whole different. Um, I loved my, I loved every day of my job, every job I've ever had, I've loved. And that's, you know, that was a blessing that I got from my parents to, to know that that's possible. And cause I saw them doing it, but um, there is, it is a different experience. You know, if you really think about being wealthy, it's an experience of generosity, right? Cause you have an abundance and you think about how to make a difference and how to share it. Right. That's really the stance, you know, that is hard for people to imagine when they don't have it because it's, it's hard to start thinking about giving to others what you have. Um, but that experience of generosity that's available when I have abundance in time and abundance and flexibility and, um, and wanting to share that, you know, that, that joy with other people, um, it's, it's, a, it's affected me in ways I did not expect, I have, I have to say. Yeah, now, have you read uh, Thou Shalt Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin? No. Uh, yeah, that's a good book. He's uh he was a mentor uh, at Dave's. Yeah, he was a good book. Dave Ramsey had us read that when I was in leadership there. Another good one that my wife read, I haven't read it, but she gave me the Cliff Notes version of it, is uh, a book called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. He's a big pastor, I think out of Texas. And uh, but he talks about how God took him on this journey of giving, where he's, he had he just became a conduit for giving things away. Like he somebody would give him a car and God would tell him to give that car away. So he'd give it away. And as soon as he gave it away, somebody gave him another car and it got to get crazy. And, you know, and I won't give the whole book away, but it just like it gets pretty ridiculous on the things that he started giving away and, and getting in that this whole process. And, I once uh, worked as a consultant in, in finances, and she said the money's like water. When it's stagnant, it's poisonous. But if it's flowing, you know, it, it brings life. Yeah, that's a wonderful way of, of looking at it. And I think that's hard because, uh, you know, people that are struggling with the paycheck or to manage it well or to steward it well, however you want to say it, um, it's hard to imagine giving something away that you have so little of, a scarcity. That's a scarcity mindset, right? Yeah. I don't think that's where we're really designed to live. I think we're really designed to live more of an abundance lifestyle uh, of pouring out 
from each other into others' lives. You know, that we're social people. creatures. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really, as a principal, I saw it as, it, I mean, if you've ever been, ever been an executive in a company, when you fill that role, people see you as that role. And then you, you experience yourself differently because of how other people are seeing you. And I just started to realize, you know, as principal, when I became principal, being, you know, Nadav as principal was a different person than the person before that, because I had never been seen that way. Um, right. As, as responsible for the community at that level. And um, over time, I just started realizing that my investment has to be in the people around me because how they see me is who I am. I, who I am doesn't come from me. It really comes from how my community sees me um, and trying to do it any other way just doesn't work. Um, and that's, um, that, that, that's hard to manage, hard to manage other people listening of you, right? You have to take responsibility, you have to clean a lot of stuff up and say sorry a lot, and you have to just fail and fail and fail and fail. Um, but it's it's worth it because then when people start seeing you a certain way and you get to be that greatness that they see, um, it's unstoppable. So you've got your passive income established and you've got this this thing you're doing. Let's let's talk about that. Like you're you're living your dream, you're living your passions. You got this thing you've been working on. I think you said since 1999. Yep. Is that when you said you started it? Yep. And so now in just the last several years, it started to take off for you. So it's been alive in my life since then. So I became a, a science teacher and I used, you know, in 99, we launched something called Sound of Mind and it was an online platform for um, to decentralize media and podcasting didn't exist then because audio, the internet couldn't handle audio yet, audio files, and people thought it never would. Um, so we distributed on these CD magazines and we'd stand at street corners and throw them into people's cars for their, you know, as they were heading out to their commute. Um, and so, and the CD magazines would come to us from people using our phone line and in different ways, people would just kind of, it was, we open sourced all radio production. We had some great shows. Um, we didn't produce many of them. And then I became a teacher and I used it in my classroom and it really turning a camera or a microphone on a student, um, even if they can't read or write with a microphone, you realize the ones that are literate are really good at listening, really good at speaking. And so you get kind of genius out of kids that wouldn't come. And so it, I kept using it and producing results in schools, turned around a failing school using um, these kind of videos and audio production, made hundreds of films and, and podcasts. And But now what's happening is it's going to scale. Um, and we're designing this app based on the work I did for 20 years at the high school level um, so that we can offer that same model of performance-based assessment instead of standardized testing um, to any student, any school. So it doesn't, you don't have to go to the right middle school to go to the right high school. You can be at any school and you can use this app to get these gold standard credits. Um, and you get one of these credits by uploading a 10-minute media segment. Um, and so it's a, different, uh, it's a different set of data to evaluate um, outcomes for K to 12 education instead of standardized thinking, which is just teaching you how to think in ways for jobs that are being taken by AI. So it's, you know, really measuring who's going to fail in the world. And, you know, it makes no sense to measure with standardized thinking. Um, and so this, and, and this performance-based approach to education is more ancient than the standard, than the, you know, the industrial approach. It was around, you know, I went to the Waldorf school growing up and Rudolf Steiner was, you know, before um, his ideas, he, he took from people that came well before the industrial revolution. So we're going back kind of reclaiming education as a human experience, as an experience, not something that is um, standardized and formulaic and where you're told to comply, but where you're really asked to look into your passions and to look into, you know, what has you be who you are. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. You know, I went to a, a private school. I was very fortunate. My parents sacrificed a lot. They didn't have a lot yeah, of money, but what they did have, they sacrificed. And, uh, you know, we're, we've my, my wife went to a, a public school. And when we had to decide where to put our children, uh, we made the decision to stick them in a private school. She never really thought about it, uh, had thought about it before because she didn't grow up in a private school. And uh, but we, we came to that decision. 
And uh, it's it's been really interesting because I, I think because of the experience I had, which I thought was a good experience in the private school system, it was still the, you know, the structured, regimented standard model that most schools have. There might have been a few little different things, but overall, same thing, just, you know, private versus public. And uh, and we're in, our kids are in a, what's called a classical education now, where it's much more at the college level design, where they're not there all day long. They're there a couple of days a week and start classes. And I like that model a lot better. But the thing I don't like about that model is that you're still asking kids that are not necessarily good at certain subject matters to focus on building those subject matters up. I use the example. I've got a daughter who uh, is not good at math. You know, I, I thrive in math. I went to school for engineering. I like calculus. Uh, I like calculus one, two and three. I think it's fascinating. Um she it's like trying to speak five foreign languages at the same time for her. And I'm like, why are, you know, kids having to learn that when the majority of society will never use anything past like a sixth grade math level, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, that kind of meets most of their needs. Even if you're like in a basic accounting job, which is a pretty standard, good profession, you're kind of still doing the same basic stuff. You're not like doing uh, projected curves, uh, for future forecasting, statistical analysis. Right. You're just not doing those kinds of things. So we're really excited about doing a homeschool model this next year for three of the kids, three of them that are still in that level, maybe four, if we pull one uh, down, she'll be a senior next year. And really kind of taking a deep look at the educational model for them to go, we're going to take ownership and, you know, you're going to have to learn two, three or four languages, four languages before you graduate. The school doesn't require that. The state doesn't require that. But your parents are now requiring that of you. And guess what? We also need to become fluent in a couple languages. So we're going to my wife and I are going to get in there with the kids and actually start working with them on some of these languages. My wife That's is a courageous. little bit more familiar with for, for more familiar with German, I, I, Spanish is more of a natural thing for me. I took through two, three, four years of it in the high school and, and it's going to be fun. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun, but also mentally engaging with your kids to go, this is what you're good at. Let's not like say goodbye to the other stuff, but let's focus on, you know, honing your gifts and talents and managing your weaknesses instead of having to put equal emphasis on. And I think that's what I see in education is when a teacher sees a kid who's struggling in something and they get a D, they they really force them to work super hard to get try to get that up because the teacher thinks it ought to be a B or, you know, that's where everybody, but no, it's just not true. You know, some of them, if they get a D or a C, it's like, hey, I, I'm a big believer C's are kind of the minimum in the family. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would rather you get A's and B's only, but, you know, you might have something you're not as good at. But D's, that's, that's for lazy people, like D's and S right. for the most part. It, you don't have to work very hard to get past the D. You just have to get your homework turned in on time, do exercises, things right. like that. Now, in your model and what you're working on, I want to talk more about it. But one of the things I teach is, uh, you know, millionaire key number three in my book is called uh, Get Money Smart. So just like we had to learn about math, English and science in school, if you want to be good in something, you still have to study it. So you have to develop a habit of studying money. If you want to build wealth, if you want to grow in wealth and be able to, you know, have something at the end of the, the rainbow, you know, when you get to be 70 years old or 80, uh, you've got to take that time. If you don't, you, there's no way around it. You can't get away. If you want to build wealth, there's no way you can just circumvent uh, getting money smart or learning money smart. Yeah. Um, so how did you, what did you do or have you done over the years, you know, even through education, but also educating yourself about wealth? Man, I think I just got lucky. Um, having been a software engineer, um, 
I was exposed to cryptocurrencies pretty early. And I was busy as a principal. I was turning around a failing school when Satoshi's white paper came out. I didn't have time. And then just kind of at the right time, I got a sabbatical year in Japan. And that's when I wrote my book. And um, right when I got into you know studying it and, and saw it, I, I told my wife after, I don't know how long I studied it, maybe a couple of weeks, I said, we need to get into this. Um, and I got lucky, you know, I think it was it was um, pure luck. I think I was convinced that I was going to stay the principal of this one high school that's right around the corner from my house here, um, that I would be my whole career. Um, I didn't, this isn't something that I envisioned or created. It was, uh, I think, pure dumb luck that I happened to be standing somewhere that I had the skill set to recognize something. It's happened to me just a couple of times. And this, my wife and I always talk about this. I don't invest or do that kind of stuff. But once in a while, I see something that's already happened that nobody else has seen has happened yet, but it's already happened. Right. And that's what I saw with this. With my wife, I was like, this is already done. We, you know, this is, it was 2017 when we were talking about it and, you know, it, Bitcoin had already proven itself enough. And I, I, I saw that we were um, ahead of the curve and I had no doubt, no doubt. Um, so being able to have that kind of conviction comes from somewhere, maybe. Um, and we did it once before. How we bought our house was um, I saw something similar with gold um, in the early aughts when I met my wife. And so we, um, we we made a lot of money, put put more than we could afford into gold. And in a very short period of time, it, it went up significantly. Hasn't done that since. Um, so. I think I've gotten some dumb luck, uh, unfortunately, with with money. But again, my relationship to money is very different than other people's, and I'm willing to take those risks and have that conviction. Um, and in general, I think learning anything, whether it's money or anything else, I'm I grew up in this system that you don't study something, you um, experience it, you go in and and play with it. So when I had some time to play with money, I just it was it was not theoretical. I don't I don't I don't learn in theoretical terms. I get in there and and get my hands dirty. Once I saw that I made some money. Um, I, I went even deeper and, um, yeah, and, and have done uh, exceedingly well. Um, so I don't know if that's a great answer to help other people <laughs> because my approach was a little different. Um, but if you, sometimes you can see something, you know, sometimes because of your skill set, you're in a unique position to recognize something happening in the culture. Nobody sees. And when you do, you got to look and see how you can monetize that. Yeah. I, I think I would take the word luck out of there. I think there's a couple of things. I mean, you may feel like you got lucky, but I think there's a couple of things in your life, just listening to you, that you were like prepared, like you were mentally prepared, engaged. Uh, you, you're not a guy that just sleeps around and goes, I don't think you're the kind of guy that just goes through the mundane uh, daily rituals, right? You, it seems like you've got your eyes right. open, you know, if something pops up on your radar, you're going, hey, that's that's something, and you, you're you're attent you're attentive. And we yeah. had that money to invest because of previous, you know, the way we bought this house was a short sale that seemed like a scam. My whole family was sure we were losing all of our money, and the guy every week told us it would come through next week for eight eighteen months, and we didn't have a home. We were living in a temporary place for eighteen months, thinking that we we're so we took risks when we, you know, when when I do my research, do my homework, I I got somebody who's a neighbor of the agent who we thought was ripping us off, who lived next door to kind of do some research like we I'm, I'm scrappy and i get the information i need to find out that it was a real deal and worth waiting for and then we got this incredible house that the moment after we bought it was worth more than twice as much as we paid and that's the money that we were able to start playing with to invest so um yeah it's it's it, for me i guess what what makes it possible or what my wife would say makes it possible is that i'm willing to fail longer than other people right i have no problem with failure for me failure is um is is learning. I call it learning. I don't call it failure. I call it growth. And so I don't get discouraged by failure. I kind of um, it 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 um, pumps me up in a way. It challenges yeah. me. So let me walk through that real quick because I want to make sure the future millionaires listen to the show caught that. So you you saw an opportunity with your house. 
it was a short sale, which means it was selling for less than the value because somebody was either in foreclosure or they were trying to unload the house for whatever reason. You got a hold of that opportunity, stuck with it for 18 months, which I, I actually looked at a short sale back in like 2009. And after about four months, um, it, it kind of semi fell through. And I, I won't go into the details about that. It was a good thing for us because we found out we were pregnant with our fifth child. And so the house we were short selling on mm-hmm. was too small. All of a sudden it was too small. I thought we were stopping with four kids. Right. We stopped with six and this was the fifth one that kept us out of short sale. But you took, got that short sale, got the short sale, ended up doubling in value. You didn't give a number, but let me uh, just, I don't know what the number is, but let's say it was worth 150,000 more than what you thought it was. I could, I, we, we bought it for 430,000 and it was worth 1.25 Oh yeah, so million. that's really good. So you took a chunk of that equity out and then used that for your investment. So you said, hey, you said, that's uh, right. and that's where people go. You know, some people say, hey, pay off your house, get debt free, that kind of stuff. Other people say never pay off your house because it's the cheapest money you'll ever have. And and I do agree with, yeah, Jesus. I do agree with that to some degree because um, you can, if you get into the right investment, you're going to make, infinitely more two three four five x uh what your what your house debt is going to cost you so there's opportunity there um and within reason right so you don't want to go out and- right but again i invested that i invested five hundred thousand dollars and within um within i think two months it was down below a hundred thousand dollars well below i think we were down to 70 grand on that and, and value right and we held on because a conviction we we bought based on conviction and we knew that something like we didn't think it would be that drastic, but we something we knew something like that would happen. Um, and I think it got down to 60 something thousand in value. And and, you know, now it's worth yeah. multiple millions. So, so it's it's that being willing to make it through that jungle. Yeah. Of, yeah. So, so you're <laughs> talking about you probably bought in on the high point of Bitcoin and because you took all that money and bought crypto with it. And that would have been yep, at a high yep. point. Just Bitcoin. Yeah, not 2017, crypto, yep. 2018. So you hit the 20,000 spike somewhere around in there. Right at the, yeah. yep. So I, yep. I got, bought it to 13, yeah, I got in right before that, started buying in at 6,500. So, and uh, I bought some in. Now, the difference between you and me is I bought some, wrote it up, wrote it back down. So I didn't lose, but I had to use that crypto for some other things. So I didn't get to, to hold it through this net, this last spike. I was able to buy some more and get in and see some growth out of it, but I wasn't able to ride that big exponential curve like you're hitting, which is, that's exciting, right? You're, yeah. It's so exciting. And then we had something similar happen with Luna, saw Luna, uh, you know, Terra Luna really early on, recognized it again, um, went in big time. And so that's happened now twice. And that's, that was the point that I could retire. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think that's really cool for you. Now, for people that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about cryptocurrency. I've got a couple of articles on uh, the millionairechoice.com about newcomers to crypto, what I think is going to happen, some input on it. There's uh, one that's called a getting started with cryptocurrency article. It'll tell you everything you need to know about how to, you know, get your account set up, a couple ideas on what you may want to buy. You're guaranteed to lose a lot of money before you make <laughs> Just, any guaranteed i guarantee right it. now don't sell buy if, if you're gonna buy you know <laughs> i can't give advice so but i am not selling you know hold it just hold it you know and uh you know my portfolio i think back then when you were buying it right around the time i, th- I dropped probably about 200 grand in back then and uh very quickly that 200 grand became uh about 3x so about 600,000 i think i didn't quite make it over six i think i made it to like 485 495 and then i just held and then it, you know, obviously came back down once it went off that. But then I had to liquidate to to go uh, take pay pay some bills and things. So I wish I hadn't had to do that. But yeah, I did the math because my wife still has the portfolio on her phone, 
And if we had kept that, that, that money that we put in would be somewhere around like one and a half million dollars now, you know, like a 10 X return on it. And, uh, and that's not done, right? We're not done with the ride yet. It's going to be, it's going to be quite a few, another that's decade. Right. And the only reason we could do that is because we were willing to lose that money. I love my job. I had a steady income. Like it was that foundation where we didn't, we didn't expect anything of that money. That was silly money. Right. It, and it, I mean, we, we had a conviction that over time that by the time you know, we passed on to our kids, but I thought, five, 10 years before I see anything from this, but I was sure that in five, 10 years, something yeah. would happen. And so I was like, we're just going to get this and forget about this money for a while. And, and my wife was, you know, she's like, I've got a good job and good money and there was no issue. So you we were secure. Could do it. You had some security in place foundation. Yeah. That's great way exactly. to look at it. You, you could take on some risk because you had a good foundation and good security established for your family. So you could absorb a little bit of risk. I think that's an exciting story. I can't wait to see where that goes for you in the next three years, right? Where they say Bitcoin's going to hit 250 yeah. grand here in the next two or three years. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to be a different person when I talk to you those days. <laughs> it's funny. So do you have a, do you have an amount of money that's too much that after that it starts getting toxic? Is that, is that something that's it? My wife's parents, when I became a principal, they heard how much money New York city principals make. We make a lot of money. Um, and she was a like chain smoking business owner. She, she had grown this company from nothing and, and, you know, incredible story, her, her company. And so she handed the company over to her employees, gave it to them, didn't take anything. Um, and her parents were adamant that too much money, we we're going to poison our kids. We we're going to poison our lives. Um, and so do you have a number that it, that when it gets to certain, I've seen it happen to people. I've seen it. I've had people that I know um, get past a certain amount. And I've seen that after a certain amount, it starts to um, work against them. Um, and I don't know what that is yeah. or where that is, but it's something that I'm always I don't think about. it's a number personally. I think it's a character issue. And, you know, I, I, and that's the first millionaire key that I wrote about. You can't build or keep wealth unless you develop strong character. And, and that's what you really got to pay attention to because Dave Ramsey has a wonderful saying. I don't know if it's his or someone else's, but he says money's not bad. It's not a bad thing. Money just makes you more of what you really are. If you're a jerk, you're going to be a bigger yeah. jerk. If you got some character flaws, those <laughs> character flaws are going to become more glaring the more that money. That's a good way and, to put I, it. and I find that to be true. So if you're a generous person and you have a purpose behind your wealth like that, that's core, right? That whether you got money or not, what kind of person are you is going to dictate whether or not you could handle that money well as you have more of it. You know, if you're greedy about it yeah. or you think it's yours or you scare it, you know, but if you've got a real purpose behind it, go, you know what? Uh, if I had another hundred million dollars, what, what would I do with it? Would I would I help more orphans? You know, there's a hundred over 150 million orphans in the world. Uh, this human trafficking thing that I'm learning about now is just freaking ridiculous, right? The the the, the yep. children that are being trafficked, the women that are being trafficked, like there's no shortage of problems that people could use money to help fix, right? And I think that's the biggest problem I see is that people. Uh, that are are building wealth, they don't have a real purpose of generosity in their heart behind it. And if you focus on that first, I think uh, you're going to be okay, right? Uh, you don't want to ruin your right. kid. So I think, uh, you know, you don't want to throw $100 million at a kid that hasn't learned how to manage a million. That's a bad plan, right? right? So you might not want to yeah. pass that money on to your kids. You might want to say, hey, this is, you, you, sh you grow this, like, you know, you grow this, you've got enough that gets you started. And uh, if you can't make it, I'm sorry. Like that's, you got to figure it out. And uh, yeah, it's a funny thing. Being generous is the most selfish thing you can do in a sense, because as social creatures, it's what feeds us and gives us, you know, a positive self and making difference in the world is kind of what humans are called to do. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, I, yeah, I think you're probably right. People that, that um, are using it to, to make a difference. It feeds in a positive cycle. Um, 
It's interesting. To yeah, think it, about. I mean, it could be detrimental for sure. I think that's one thing I'm having to work through my kids is like, how do you first make them, uh, you know, entitlement's a big deal. So as a parent, you got to make sure your kids don't feel entitled. Um, you got to make sure they have the right perspective on it. Uh, you know, and our kids, if anything, we, we, with, we withheld things from them. They didn't like get like, just because we have money, they, they didn't get to live some lavish lifestyle, you know, uh, we didn't have distress about money, but at the same time, we weren't going out and buying them the latest, neatest gadget. You know, they get all the hand-me-down computers, all the hand-me-down iPhones. My one son, I think, is running on an iPhone 5 or 6. Uh, still, I'm running an iPhone 6S. I mean, that's like six generations old now. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just like, hey, why? I don't need to buy another one. It's just going to be more of the same stuff, just a little faster. You know, who cares? And I don't use it for much anyway. That's that character. Yeah, that I mean, why about. spend it? You know, and, and people a bit frugal. But um, Nadav, it's been wonderful talking to you. I like your outlook. I like where you're at. I can't wait to see what happens with you with this app that you're doing. It's a. Uh, it's called. It was HS Credit. Is that the app you've been working on? Yeah, HS Credit. Um, we have a very wordy website. There's a new slick website coming soon, so stay tuned. Um, some nice videos that I'm, I'm excited to share, and um, and then just the community of work that that will be um, toward the end of this year coming out as the app launches. I think. Um, I'm really excited to to see young people take it and liberate themselves from the industrial school. Oh, I love that too. And, you know, just reform how they're thinking and where their potential is because, you know, potential, human potential, I won't say unlimited, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's what we make out of it, you know, reinvest in ourselves. And that's one of the biggest investments you can make is in yourself and your growth and in your kids and where they can go. How are people going to find out more about you and, and follow up on, you know, this HS Credit app and, you know, Nadav Zimmer? Yeah, so you can, I mean, if you want to reach out to me, uh, Z at hs.credit uh, is my email. I answer all the emails myself. You're welcome. And then on uh, Twitter and other social media, it's my first initial last name. So N Zemmer, Z-E-I-M-E-R. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from people and uh, anybody interested in passion by education, we're a decentralized autonomous organization. So anybody that uh, wants to help get work done can look at some of the tickets we have available and see if you can um, make a difference moving us forward. And then you earn some of the cryptocurrency we'll launch um, probably in about three hey, thanks years. Thanks for being on the show today and sharing your wisdom. Appreciate it. I appreciate your uh, having the show and, and the opportunity. Thanks so much. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.